would please take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John, the fourth chapter. We're going to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago, talking about uh, Jesus Christ, that Jesus is all I need. And, and uh, we looked a couple of weeks ago at how we test uh, those things that come in the faith. Verse 1, John talks about the fact that we are to test the spirits, that we are to know what is taking place. And, and this morning, as I kind of decided or debated what I was going to preach, a lot of times when I'm not preaching baccalaureate, I'll preach a message specifically to our seniors. But the reality is today in this world in which they're going to grow up and we're going to send them off, one of the greatest things that I believe they need to know is the truth of uh, doctrine and theology. In fact, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, many years ago, one of the greatest uh, theologians who wrote so much about the book of 1 John, he wrote and said, those today who don't take an active interest in theology and in the study of sound doctrine are not only ignorant, but they are denying the scriptures. You and I need to know what we believe and why. We need to understand and we need to be teaching our kids and, and, and we need to know it for ourselves, not just because it's what we've always heard, but because we are able to investigate and to determine and to solidify that foundation in our life. And as we move forward, as this world progresses faster and faster, uh, we're going to see more and more the things of faith, the things particularly of Christianity in this world and particularly Christianity in this nation are going to be persecuted and things are going to become more and more hostile towards us as we move through life. In fact, if you think about it, pretty much it's Orthodox Christianity today that's under fire. If you're a Muslim today, you're not under fire for what you believe about political things or religious things. If you're a Hindu or a Buddhist, if you're an atheist, you're not under fire for the things you believe. It's Orthodox Christianity that is being told you know, put the Bible up, keep the Bible in the church, don't bring the Bible out, don't bring your theology out, don't take your theology to work. And, and so it's important for us, it's important for, for our next generation to understand the truth, and, and, and that's going to be more important as we move, move, we move forward. So if you have your Bibles open there, uh, to 1 John chapter 4, if you would please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Verse 1, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that who confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit who does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. You have heard that he is coming, and he is already in the world now. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You may be seated, and may God bless his word this morning as we study it together. There's a couple of things that we're going to look at very quickly in this passage of Scripture that talk about the fact that Jesus Christ is better, that Jesus Christ is all we need. And, and uh, the first thing I want you to see in verse 1 very simply is the incarnation, that he is fully God, fully man. That is foundational to our life. It is foundational to our spiritual faith. Verse 2, John writes, this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, John's not dealing with people who deny the reality of Jesus Christ. Okay? He's not dealing with people who say Jesus doesn't exist. John was dealing with people who wanted to deny that Jesus was 
fully God and fully man. They, they believed in Jesus. In fact, today, there's no respecting Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist, agnostic. Nobody will deny that Jesus Christ was a historical person who really lived and walked the face of the earth. But what they want to do is they want to take the teachings of the truth of what Scripture says about Jesus and either take from that or add to that. And so John here is dealing with the same thing. What you and I need to remember, teenagers, what you need to know, high school seniors, as you go out into the world, what you need to realize is this. Satan has no new bag of tricks, okay? He is not omnipresent. He is not omnipowerful. Uh, He is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He isn't everywhere. He has the same stuff he's been packaging since the Garden of Eden. He's been trying to sell us a bill of goods. It's the same stuff repackaged. And what we're seeing today is people move where experience is king. My experience, my this, my that. If you can't test your experience by the Word of God, then you need to get a solid foundation on what the truth of the Word of God says in your life. John was talking here to people who denied either the deity or the humanity of who Jesus Christ was. Why? Because the spirit of Antichrist had come and the spirit of Antichrist rose through the church. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to distort the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants to do it in the people who should understand and know the truth themselves that ought to be teaching it and modeling in our kids. And, and what John says is any spirit that confesses, and that word for confess is a word that means to say the same thing. To say the same thing from what? Since the beginning. It's the message that was there at creation. It's the message who has been there since the beginning of time. Jesus Christ, the one and only, only begotten, never to be duplicated, son of the living God. That's the message that is foundational to everything that we are and everything that we teach and that message comes that we might glorify Jesus Christ because that's his name. Now when I get that settled, the second thing that this passage teaches us is that it must be Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2, first part. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come. Why did John write it this way? Why did he say Jesus Christ? Why not just Jesus? Or why not just Christ? Why did he put those two things together? Every spirit that says the same thing about Jesus Christ. Well, because in those two words, he was capturing a mountain of theology that he is Jesus Christ, fully man. He is Jesus Christ, fully God. Jesus, man, Christ, Messiah. He is that 100% fully God, fully man, incarnate, God here, God living, God breathing, God doing all of those things. It is the eternal Son of God who took on himself deliberately the nature of man. He, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but humbled himself, being found in appearance as a a human and being made in likeness as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You and I have, you, you gotta get your mind wrapped around this, and we can't. We will never fully understand what it means that he here on this earth was fully God and fully man. But we have to accept by faith that truth that he is fully God and fully man because it is essential to the, to the idea and the understanding that Jesus Christ could go to the cross for us. You see, he didn't become Jesus at his baptism. He didn't become Christ at his baptism. That's, that's what some people in John's day were teaching. That up until this point, up until age 30, when he began his public ministry, he was a good man. He was a learned man. He had studied. He had lived 
doctrinally all that he was supposed to do. And, and that had his baptism when John writes and says, I saw the Spirit of God descending upon him. That up until that point, he had been a good man. But at that point, the Spirit descended. And at that point, he became the Son of the living God. No. He was always the Son of the living God. From the beginning, the same testimony, the same thing from the beginning. He didn't become Messiah there. He always was. And then there's some people who want to say that because of that, that when he went to the cross, what died on the cross wasn't the fully God side of him. What died on the cross was the man side, that somehow the Spirit of God left him. And that's what, when, when Christ said, why have you forsaken me? We're going to touch that in just a second. But when he said, why have you forsaken me, that the Spirit uh, left him and that this man was hanging on the cross and, and that God really didn't die for our sins. It, it was this pseudo-spiritual death. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, always was, who came to this earth to die for you and for me, for our sin, to be buried, resurrected the third day, that we might have the opportunity to understand what it means to have eternal life that God intended from the beginning. On the cross, Jesus quoted Psalm 22.1. It's one of the things that he said. It's a messianic psalm. talks about who Jesus is and he quotes the verse there, uh, 22.1 Psalm says this very simply, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And throughout history, my history as a minister, I have preached that passage wrongly so many times. In fact, probably you've heard me in the 15 years I've been here preach that message at least once, that maybe twice, maybe 10 times, I don't know, that, that it was at that moment that God turned his back on his son. Or maybe not me, but you. Anybody ever heard a pastor preach that, that God turned his back on his son, okay? Let me tell you, that's wrong. As I've studied that truth and studied that passage, how could God turn his back on himself? When Jesus Christ said why, he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, he was, he wasn't asking God why God had left him. What he was doing is he was injecting an interrogative of intrusion. Some of you English teachers will be excited that I, I know what that is. It's just because I've studied it, okay? I didn't know what that was until I read what I read. But it, it's kind of like a professor when you go to college or your high school class when the teacher wants to get you to a specific answer and she or he asks you why and you give your answer and, and she turns or he turns to someone else and says, tell me why. And, and that's an indication you didn't get it right. And they're looking for something else, and they say, why? And that, that student gives his answer, and the professor turns and says, tell me why. And then you feel comfortable that you're not the only one that didn't get it right. There's a specific answer that the professor's looking for. Jesus on the cross said, why, why have you forsaken me? And he's not asking a question. He's getting us to want us to understand why God left him on the cross. First of all, the enormity of sin talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, that, that the vast enormity of sin. Why? Why did God leave him on the cross? Because sin had to be paid for. And I talked about the fact that we are not conditioned by righteousness. God is not the holy standard that we should have in our life that we seek to attain. Jesus said, I'm holy. Be holy because I'm holy. That's not the standard. We're not conditioned by righteousness. We are conditioned by sin because what I do is I find somebody else and I say, I'm not as bad as he is. 
See, I can find somebody. I'm not conditioned by righteousness. When righteousness is the standard, I don't get there outside the glory of the grace of God. When I'm conditioned by sin, I find somebody else who's messed up more than I have. And I let myself off the hook. And I say, yeah, that's why Jesus said, why? Not only did he talk about the enormity of sin. He asked why because of the isolation of sin. I've had people tell me in my years of ministry, well, pastor, I may go to hell, but I'll be there with all my friends. No, you won't. No, you won't because there is no friendship in hell. You're in isolation. One of the, it is the most hellish hell that I could ever imagine that, that the Bible says Jesus speaking about hell said the rich man died and was in hell in torment. Lazarus was in the, the, the bosom of Abraham in heaven and the rich man in torment could see what he had missed. He was in isolation. There aren't any friends in hell, folks. You're by yourself and you're isolated from God. But not only did it, it, was it because of the enormity of sin, and not only was it because of the isolation of sin, it was because of the cost of sin. You see, heaven had to give his best. That's why he is Jesus Christ. That is why he is fully God and fully man. Heaven had to give his best. If I was going to be redeemed, if sin was going to be paid for, God had to give his very best because judgment wasn't just an external thing. It wasn't just a price to be paid in his body. You see, he, he had to become sin. God had to look into him and see the thing that he was paying for. Why? Why? Because he loves us. You want to know why? Get up in the morning and look in the mirror. That's why. For God so loved you, the world, us. The fact that you're here this morning is proof that God loves you. God doesn't miss. If he wanted to take you out last night with that lightning storm, he could have. He don't miss. He had plenty of opportunities. If you're here this morning, it's because he's still got a purpose and a plan for your life. Why? Because he loves you. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Sing it. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. Why? Look in the mirror. Why? Look around. Look at your wife. Look at your husband. Look at your grandkids. I know every grandparent loves their grandkids, but let me tell you something. Sin makes them unlovable in God's eyes until Christ went to the cross. Why? Because he loves us. But not only does John say he has 
come Jesus Christ. The second, third part of this that he, he points out is, is that he has come. Why does he say every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come? Because when John writes has come, what it does is it suggests that, that he was before. See, he didn't just show up. He didn't just happen to be here. He has been, and because he has been, he can come. He can be there. He can burst forth onto all of creation. Jesus Christ at this point, who was before, has come here into this moment. In that moment, he bursts forth onto the stage of human history, and the power that he brings that moment That instant, that time is available to you today. It's what Paul meant when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, behold, he is a new creation. All things have gone. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's his promise. He has come. He has the power. He he was at the beginning. He didn't start someday. He didn't become the son of God in creation. He already was. He is the part of the, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, all equal, all independent, and yet all of the same essence, the same entity, all three in one. That's who he is. He has come. And that same power of he has come is available to you today. It's a power that was available when there was a family, had a little girl who had died. And Jesus went to the mother and the father and he said, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And people began to laugh. And so what did he do? He kicked them out of the house, took Peter, James, and John, that inner three, part of the circle, took them into the room and he looked at the little girl. He didn't touch her. He didn't, he just, he just took her by the hand and said, arise. That, that one word, arise, and life entered her body. It's the same word when a man was healed or, or had leprosy and he came to Jesus with a skin disease and Jesus didn't touch him. He didn't make a salve. He didn't do anything. The, the leper looked at him and he professed truth. He said, Lord, if you are willing, I can be clean. And Jesus said, I am willing be clean, and he was. It's the same word that Peter had when he was in the boat, and they're on the storm, the Sea of Galilee, Jesus walking on the water. Peter looked at his Lord and said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. He didn't build a bridge. He didn't raise a rock. He didn't build another boat. He said, Peter, come. It's the same message that happened when Lazarus is in the tomb. He didn't go in. He didn't resuscitate him. He didn't give him CPR. He didn't shock him with a heart monitor. He said, Lazarus, come forth the same power to speak power into those is the power that is available for your marriage it's available for your home it's available for your healing it's available for your freedom and for your release the God of power has come because he is Jesus and he is Christ that's what he wants you to know about your life he has come And I have to make the choice to let him speak that power into my life. It's foundational. It is Jesus Christ. He has come. And the last part of this very quickly is he has come in the flesh. It shows his purpose. This is now you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from 
God. John writes in John 1.14 and says the word was made flesh. It's not a phantom body. He told Thomas, touch my hand. Touch my side. It wasn't something that was fake. It wasn't something that was surreal or ethereal. It was something that was real, authentic, genuine, something that could be touched. You see, if Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh, if he wasn't tempted every way as we are and yet without sin, if he didn't shed real blood, not spiritual blood or, 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 or kind of earth real blood, if he didn't shed real blood on the cross because the Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. If he didn't shed real blood on the cross, then there is absolutely no way you and I can be redeemed. It's real. Jesus Christ, the only begotten, never to be duplicated Son of God, really went to the cross for you and really went to the cross for me. And that's the promise that he makes for us today. If it isn't real. Sin and death are not conquered. And if it isn't real, I can't be resurrected. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this as he spoke in his commentary about this chapter. And I say with reverence, weighing my words, that God alone could not die for my sins. The incarnation was essential because we who, are, are, who need redemption are of the seed of Abraham. He has taken upon himself this same nature that as a man he might die for our sins and because he is the God-man, his dying is of eternal worth, thereby I am redeemed. It's what inspired Fanny J. Crosby years ago to write the words of that beautiful hymn, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Redeemed by His infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. So do you know him? Do you know the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Have you allowed the power that, that was there at, at the cross, the power that was there when the world was spoken into existence, the power to, to speak a word, come to me on the water, come out of the grave. Have you had the power of the living God speak into your life through his one and only, only begotten, never to be duplicated son, Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Not just some stuff about him. The demons know about him. And they tremble. They know what's in store for them. But do you know him? Do you know him as Jesus Christ? You see, the reality is we like both of those at different times. Sometimes I like him to be Christ. When I've really messed up and I need power to straighten out something, he's kind of my Monty Hall. Let's make a deal. Anybody? Lord, if you'll get me out of this, I believe you're the authority, you're the power, you can fix this. I want you to be Messiah Christ, all authoritative in my life. There's times we like him to be Jesus. 
Because you see, Jesus is a buddy. And a buddy doesn't convict. A buddy just kind of embraces and holds on to us. And, and, and he loves us in spite of our sin. And we, we like him to be Jesus. Because when I walk hand in hand with Jesus as a buddy, I don't have to change. He just loves me and my sin. And so I can walk with him. I can come to church. I can carry the Bible. I can pray. But I don't have to have Christ in my life. I don't have to have the authority. Just a friend. Do you know Jesus Christ, the God-man, who can change your life? Who can speak power and authority into who you are, where you are, whatever's going on, and give you what you need to walk through. Not get out of, but walk through difficult times. Sometimes he takes us out. And I don't mean takes us out like your parents wanted to take you out. Sometimes he takes us out of those situations. Sometimes he just walks with us through them but never once have I ever walked alone do you know him if you don't man Paul wrote a verse for you all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved Romans 10 13 he wrote in, in, in Romans, and he said there, 10, 9, and 10, that if you believe in your heart Jesus is Lord and confess, or believe in your heart that Jesus is God and confess through the mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses unto salvation. If you don't know him and the power to change your life today, you can. For some of us, and, and honest reality is, you know, I've been there as a believer. I know you've probably been there before. We like to negotiate. And so sometimes we like to remake Jesus in our image. And, and when I remake Jesus in my image, then I'm okay. I can rationalize the things that I do. I don't have to change. I can just kind of walk along in life. But, but, but the reality of Scripture is I can't let him just be a buddy and, and so what has to happen for me is, is I have to confess and, and that means that, that things that I can't get over or things that I have trouble letting go of or those things that I need to forgive or the hurts that have come if I'll truly bring them to his feet and I'll lay him down what he says is it's finished it's over I'm God and I got this And, and, and we walk along, and we think, we rationalize, well, Lord, I, I want to forgive that person, or Lord, I want to let go of that, or, you know, and, and, and so it's okay, Lord, if I just take care of this right here where I am, right? I can do this. And he says, no. Because he says, if you confess your sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you. See, I, I don't get to keep that secret. Why? Because the Bible says when I bring my sin to the light, that darkness has to flee. It takes off. I don't get to keep that inside. I have to let that out. I have to go to people and say, I need your forgiveness. Or I have to go to them and say, hey, I've had this against you. I want to forgive you. If you want something in your life, the power of God to change your life, you don't hold on to the stuff. Let it go. Confess your sin. 
and allow God to be God through His Son, Jesus Christ, where you are. That's scary. That's tough. What if I go to somebody and ask for their forgiveness? And they don't. Newsflash, it's on them. You've taken care of it. Bible doesn't say we're going to be able to live at peace with all people. It says as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. Lord, I, I got a really secret sin. Can I just work on that in secret? No. You want the authority of God and the power of God in your life? Bring it to the light. Confess it. Let it go. Had a lady in early service. She came during an invitation. She said, I just need to confess that sometimes I get judgmental against other people. I thought, so do I. So I had to confess. I just said for church, guys, I need you to pray for me. There's a lot of times I get judgmental about other people. I can't get in Dallas traffic and not judge people. But I get judgmental about a lot of things worse than the way that people drive. But I'm getting better. Because normally I'd have called them idiots. See, I didn't do that. I'm getting better. But I need the Lord to work on me about a lot of things. But if I keep that in, it just stays right where it is. See, I can conform. Chad Edgington talked about that at the men's retreat this past week. I can conform. I can come to church. I can sing the songs. I can carry the Bible. I can look the part. I can use church language at church. I can use church language when I'm around my Christian friends. I can conform, but only Christ can transform. And what God wants to do is transform us from glory to glory into his image for his name. Do you know him? As Jesus Christ, the one who has come in the flesh.